Hey, good morning, Encounter. Great to be with you today. Yeah, we'll give the Lord a hand. Yeah, it is my second Sunday with you, and I am thrilled to be here just worshiping the Lord together. Just excited. If this is your first Sunday here, we're new together and just thankful and thankful for everyone joining us in person, online, however the Lord brings you uh, into his path today. That's what we're all about. And last Sunday was quite a Sunday. It was like the hottest Sunday of the year, I am told. I will never forget last Sunday. You know, you in this service, you may not know this, but in the second worship celebration, it actually got to be about 85 degrees in this room. So you were blessed in the first service. So, But our AC is working better today. And then we had a biblical festival last Sunday with worship and tacos and churros afterwards and games of all kinds. I will never forget my first Sunday at Encounter, I'll tell you that. Not only reason, because of the good food, the celebration, and the people, but they threw me into the dunk tank at the end, all right? So I, I was signed up last. No one told me that that was like the least strategic position to have in the dunk tank, uh, because basically Pastor Bill and Kenji and Todd and Milo and many others, you know, they went before me and prepped the water, all right? They, they, they blessed the water for me, and they left me very little, all right? Like I was in there on that platform going, what? There's no water in there. And then, and then we had all these children, like young little Ash and Levi. I see uh, Heather over there. I think that Ash dunked me eight times. I'm not sure. Uh, but he went over and over again. And then Liam McClasson, he was like my helper, getting me back on the platform. He had way too much fun getting me prepped and then and challenging the people throwing the ball that if they missed, they could just push it with their hands. So <laughs> it, it really wasn't fair. Uh, but talk about taking the plunge as your lead pastor on the first Sunday. So I, I will never forget. And then today, what a special day. We have group launch Sunday. And we can't tell you how excited we are to have all of these little communities, all these little small groups for you to join, to build friendships that are centered around Jesus Christ. And as was shared, was it David? I don't remember. It was my first time meeting you when he said, you know, you kind of got to jump in sometimes. And that's totally how it is. And we want to invite you to take a faith step in your journey with Christ, no matter where you are in that journey, and to get into one of these groups today. And, you know, you don't have to sign up for life. It's okay. They end when the fall is over, and you don't have to sign in blood. We just restart them in the new year. So it's just this short-term experience. In fact, by the way, what I would love to do right now is if you are a small group leader at Encounter, would you just stand where you are right now, wherever you are in the room? All right, yes. Now remain standing for a moment. I also, so look at these folks. Also, if you happen to be a children's servant with Encounter Kids, or you help with our student ministries with small groups, or you're a part of Celebrate Recovery, or any of those groups, would you stand as well wherever you are in the room if you work with our children? Uh, Gloria, I see you're not standing. You need to stand over there. I, I, I caught her, all right? Yeah, can we just give a hand to all the disciple makers and shepherds? of our church family. We're thankful for you, so please be seated. So just grateful for what God is doing through you as disciple makers and shepherds uh, in our church family. Well, I want to begin today telling you a story about someone in my life. Uh, he was the high school football coach at the high school I grew up in, in Los Gatos in Northern California. His name was Charlie Wiedemeyer. And I didn't play football, but he was the coach, he also a math teacher in our school. 
And Charlie Wiedemeyer grew up in Hawaii, and when he played football in Hawaii, he was considered to be, at that time, probably one of the greatest football players on the islands of all time. And after he graduated from high school, he went to go be a receiver for Michigan State, and he actually was in this Really, it's like a famous college football game. They sometimes refer to it as the game of the century in 1966 when number two ranked Michigan played number one ranked Notre Dame. And it was considered, even to this day, one of the most controversial, one of the greatest college football games ever played because the championship ended in a tie, uh, which never happens. And after playing football in college, uh, and by the way, that was the first college football game ever televised live on the state of Hawaii for all of you college football buffs out there. But after that, he went to be the math teacher and coach, uh, coach football at Las Gatas High School. And one day he was in his math room teaching and writing on the chalkboard and he dropped the chalk. Strange. And picked it up and began to write again. He dropped it again. And then he began to notice over time that his hands weren't working correctly and went to see the doctor and after a series of tests was diagnosed with ALS at the age of 30, sometimes known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Lou Gehrig's disease is an incurable neurodegenerative disorder. It affects you know, the pathways in your brain and your spinal cord. It basically deteriorates your muscle ability rather rapidly. And within a short amount of time, Charlie Wiedemeyer was unable to breathe and had to be put on a respirator. He was basically at the age of 30 given one year to live. And through that time, he began to renew his faith in Jesus Christ and began to discover the power of being physically broken and yet having an unbreakable God to depend on. And this morning, as a church family, we're going to begin a new message series where we're going to begin to walk through the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, and we're calling it Unbreakable But Broken. And we're going to begin today in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where we find some of the themes of this incredible book of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul. And then next Sunday, we're going to come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But let me give you a little bit of background, because 2 Corinthians is without question the Apostle Paul's most personal letter written to the New Testament churches. He had reached many people for Christ when he was in the region of Corinth during his second missionary journey, and a number of people had come to faith, and over a one and a half year period, he began to raise up disciples and leaders and congregations and house churches throughout the region. And a number of the people who came to be a part of the church were former slaves in this very strategic city, both militarily and also economically. And many of these freed slaves had literally pulled themselves out of poverty and had become quite successful economically. And Corinth at the time was this city like many of our grand cities in our nation today. It was known for its pride, it was known for its major sporting events, and it was known for its heroes. And yet after the apostle Paul leaves this young, growing church, the Bible tells us that some spiritual wolves, they're referred to, 
some false teachers came into these young community of young believers and began to lead them away from the pure, simple, powerful hope of the good news of Jesus Christ. And they began to cause them to question the spiritual authority of the Apostle Paul as an apostle. And many painful accusations were made against Paul after a huge investment in their lives. And somewhere between the writing of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul visited again. And it was a rather painful visit because many accusations were continued to be made against him. And after leaving, he cared so much about the people in Corinth that he sends one of his spiritual companions to visit the churches there, the house churches there. His name was Timothy. And Timothy, Paul, is, so, is actually concerned for Timothy's life because of how difficult the strain was in the church in Corinth. That tells you how bad it got for the people in the Corinthian church. And after sending, I'm sorry, he sent Titus first. And then he sent Timothy after that because he wanted this, these young believers, just as God wants us today, to thrive in their walk with Christ. And Timothy, after spending time in Corinth, comes back to the apostle Paul. And he says, Paul, so many in the church have been restored to the pure faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they're walking with the Lord again. And so Paul, wanting to encourage them, he writes this letter that we now call 2 Corinthians to encourage them in their faith and to cause them to shepherd them further along in the Lord. And yet there's still this small group of false teachers of wolves within this church that we're going to see that are addressed throughout our time walking through this book of the Bible. And so 2 Corinthians is written to strengthen this core of the church that have been restored in their faith and to also call out some of these false teachers in their midst. And what's fascinating is instead of defending who he was through his strengths in this book of the Bible, the apostle Paul is going to defend himself through his weaknesses. Because sometimes God's glory shines brightest through our brokenness. Amen? And he does this because one of the main arguments against Paul was that he had suffered too much and gone through too much personally to ever be an effective leader for the Lord again. And it was said of him by some of the people around him at that time that he was too weak of a speaker and too, you know, just not a great public speaker, that how could he ever be a leader filled with the Spirit in the church? And so he uses this image of us being jars of clay to display the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says things like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, and in verse 7, Therefore, Having this ministry, oh, encounter church, do you hear it? All that God has called you to in life, all that he has named you a minister over in your families, in your workplaces, and in this community of faith. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have this treasure, Jesus in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And may we hear God's voice today knowing that we are broken vessels. 
full of the treasure of Jesus, and may we not lose heart in the journey, knowing that the treasure of Jesus is being poured out, not only through the blessings of our lives, but also through the challenges and the trials of our lives as well. Would you stand with me today and pray? And let's invite the Lord to break our brokenness with his unbreakable love and spirit and presence today. Now, I don't know about you before we pray, but I recognize today there's a lot going on in the world. Today's 9-11 represents that day that so many lives were lost in our nation and the heroism of the first responders. We recognize them today. This last week, Queen Elizabeth went, you know, passed away and there's this transfer of power going on in England and makes me think of some of our other global partners like Luke and Daisy Holland who have a youth camp in England. We want to pray for them today. We pray for Nancy and Jonathan and their ministry to the nations at UC Irvine. Uh, this week, I don't know if you know, but it marks the beginning of Hispanic Heritage Month for our nation, recognizing the amazing influence of Hispanic culture on the U.S., and I think today, in light of all those things, we just need to pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out to the nations, both around the world, in our nation, in our communities, and also today into the inner crevices of our own heart. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you today as your church, inviting a special presence and work by your spirit and by your word that only you can do in us. Father, we dare to confess our brokenness to you today, to lay out the rawness of our life and invite you to meet us with your unbreakableness. And we ask you to do it in your name and in your power, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. So I want to share with you how through Christ, we are unbreakable and yet broken. And it's this paradox of following Jesus, how we're unbreakable through Christ, yet broken vessels being used for God's glory. How in Christ we have this unbreakable treasure in broken vessels. And as verse 7 read, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Scott Haifman is a biblical scholar. He's written a number of commentaries on 2 Corinthians. He's highly influenced my life uh, on this book of the Bible, Amazing Man of God. Uh, he has this quote, though, where he said this of verse 7. He, he would translate it literally this way, in order that all, the all-surpassing power might be from God and not be from us. Can I hear an amen to that? In order that the all-surpassing power might be from God and not from us, Paul is going to defend Jesus, the gospel, and himself through weakness. Because sometimes it is through weakness that God's glory shines brightest in this world. And I want you to look at this picture on the screen for a moment. It's an ancient pot or vessel that has been repaired through the ancient art of kintsugi. 
Kintsugi is this ancient art form that takes broken vessels and repairs them, puts them back together again using lacquer that has been dusted or powdered with gold or silver or platinum. And the philosophy is it treats the breakage or the repair of an object as something that's simply a part of the story of an object rather than something to be hidden and disguised. You see, Kintsugi highlights the cracks and the repairs as simply an event in the story of an object rather than allowing the service of that object to end at the time of damage or of repair. And as you look at that ancient bull, it's such a good picture of what God loves to do in our lives through Jesus Christ. Because he loves to repair us with the gold of his grace and the power of his spirit so that we are put back into service pouring out his presence and his story into the world. And he takes the shattered pieces of our lives and through, our, through his power uses us for his glory again, meaning that our weaknesses surrendered into God's hands can shine God's glory not only to us but to the people around us. Verse, seven, uh, verse 1 said, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Remember Paul's spiritual background. He started out his spiritual career as a persecutor of the New Testament church until he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. But he was somebody who his influence took the lives of followers of Jesus Christ in the early church until he surrendered his life to the Lord on that road. And he knows that any role that he holds in the church today, just like any of us, is by the pure grace of Jesus Christ. And God's mercy granted to Paul through Christ gives him confidence to not lose heart now in the face of trials. And I'm not going to read it, but Paul basically confronts these spiritual wolves. And he says, you know, you're pointing to your supposed godliness. And you're pointing to your supposed spiritual power, which is really a counterfeit power. Instead of focusing on giving not only your strengths but your weaknesses to God and letting him work through those. He says in verse, chapter 3, verse 15, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what, encounter family? Oh, that wasn't very good. I'm going to give you another run at that because that's a really important verse, a good word for us today. Okay, are you ready? Okay, all right. I'm going to give you another run. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? Amen. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see, Paul met Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus, and he says, unlike Moses who when he came into the presence of God, he had to turn away. We are invited into a face-to-face relationship with Jesus. And my question for everybody in the room and listening is, have you met Jesus face-to-face? Because he has been pursuing you your entire life with his truth and his presence and his grace and his love. And he wants to pour himself into you if you will only surrender to him as your loving Savior and Lord. In Christ, we also have unbreakable hope in broken circumstances. Verse 8 continues, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. 
perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And God is inviting us to have this radically different view of our challenges this side of heaven. And given all the difficult circumstances that we know of Paul's life, the only thing we can attribute his perseverance to is the grace of God at work in his brokenness. Verse 10, he says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And he says in verse 16, I'm jumping there, so we do not lose heart. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Do any of you feel like your outer self is wasting away? Do any of you feel like cracked pots? Not a cracked pot, but do you feel like your body's a, a cracked pot? Because Paul puts it this way, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so just as God's power did not abandon Jesus to the grave, so now... His resurrection power sustains us as we walk in Him. And I want to point out something that God would just love to pour into our hearts today. And that is that this side of heaven, some of the most difficult circumstances that we all go through, sometimes it's endurance through them and not always the immediate miraculous deliverance from them that display God's glory and power the most powerfully. Meaning sometimes it's God's hope pouring out of our challenges that displays his beauty and power, not only to our own hearts, but to the world around us. And using the picture of a vessel that has been repaired by God's grace and mercy, it's the hope of Christ. You see, Jesus is the gold that shines through the cracks when he repairs the shattered pieces of our lives. It's his grace that shines forth. And so do you see your weaknesses and trials only through the lens of discouragement, or do you see them as a jar to hold and display the beauty and the power and the hope of Jesus Christ as you follow him? You know, I started talking about Charlie Wiedemeyer our football coach, uh, shortly after being diagnosed with ALS, he would lose the use of his lungs and would not be able to breathe on his own. And so they did a tracheotomy on him. They basically put a breathing port into his neck, uh, so that, into his airway, so they could hook up a respirator to help him to breathe, so, to breathe for him. Uh, he couldn't use his arms anymore. He couldn't use his legs anymore. And yet he continued to coach our high school football team even after his, all of that happened. In fact, after his diagnosis, he would go on to win seven championships in his high school career as a football coach. His ending record would be 78, 18, and 1. All of that happening after he was diagnosed. And what he would do, because he couldn't speak after his tracheotomy and he couldn't use his arms and legs, he would go around in this golf cart and his precious, amazing, godly wife, Lucy, would sit next to him, and she would read his lips because he could move his lips. 
and she could read his eyes and his eyebrows. And he would call the plays out. She would translate lip-reading him, and then she would call the plays out to the assistant coaches on the field and to the teammates. And to this day, I remember as a young, younger person, my brother was in high school on the marching band. I remember being at those football games and seeing that golf cart go up and down the field and Lucy leaning over to Charlie in the heat of the battle of a football game, translating for him and interpreting his words as he called out the plays on the field. And I, I remember that. And the, this is the, the power of his stories, that his hope wasn't in having a whole body. His hope was in the Lord and being used as an instrument, however God would choose to use him in his life. And after coaching became too difficult for him, he decided to become a public speaker. I'm not lying. He couldn't speak on his own. And he went around to schools and to churches and to sporting events. And through his wife, Lucy, they together proclaimed that life is precious. And it is a gift from God. No matter what your situation is or how hard it is. And he proclaimed that you can have a broken body and be broken by sin and live with the hope of an unbreakable God. And I would tell you, of all the people I've met in my life, no one shined brighter than the face of Charlie Wiedemeyer. And all he had were the use of that, is that mouth and his eyes and his eyebrows. He couldn't swallow on his own. They had to suction out his throat all the time. He had an entourage that followed him around. He was on a respirator 100% of the time. Completely no use of the rest of his body, dependent on others for every necessity in life. And yet in the midst of that great challenge, he expressed a whole lot of joy. He was one of the funniest people around. He was always cracking jokes. There was always a delay because it had to be interpreted for him. I was good friends with his son, Kali, and when I was in high school, I had the privilege of running relays on track and field with Kali. Kali had Mr. Wiedemeyer's speed, and he was super fast. I was the slow guy who barely made it onto the relay team. Kali was the fast guy, but one time they invited me to travel with him as a family where he was speaking at a camp, and I'll never forget it. After the camp evening was over, we were in where we were staying for the night. And I've shared a little bit of my story where my dad was disabled, and I remember just watching this family in action, taking care of Mr. Wiedemeyer. And they were joking and just talking and praising God about what happened during the night. And at one point, the nurse who traveled around with them in the midst of everyone telling their story, she unhooked his respirator to clean it, and they're all telling stories. And I'm sitting there watching this, and I realized they didn't rehook the respirator. And I'm watching them joke around, and all of a sudden you see Charlie's eyes getting bigger and bigger, and they're like looking around like this, and he's like moving his lips, and they're all just laughing and telling stories, and all of a sudden they put it back in, and they all laughed and talked about how Charlie looks good and blue, and just were continuing to have fun. And I'm sitting there thinking, ah, that's not funny. And I got to tell you, being a son of a father who was disabled most of his life, I learned a lot from the Wiedemeyers about how God's joy shines in even the hardest places. Finally, in Christ, we also have unbreakable grace and broken people. And the more we get that, the more we get to share Christ with others and the more we want to share Christ with others. Because God says in verse 15, For it is all for your sakes that as grace extends the more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Meaning that the more people who come to Christ, 
the more that God's grace shines out, the more we have to praise God for. And I would encourage you, if you've been blessed with Christ, share him with others around. If you're blessed by worship today, invite a friend next Sunday. Have faith that the God who raised Jesus from the grave has the power to take your shattered pieces in your life and reflect the gold of his grace and love through those broken pieces. Like the art of Kintsugi, God loves taking those broken pieces and repairing them. In fact, if you're new to knowing what it means to follow Jesus, I just want you to know that in this room surrounding you, it's full of people who have surrendered their life to Jesus. And have given him their sin and their brokenness. And they're on a journey of exploring the goodness of what it means to have an unbreakable hope in him. And if you want to have that unbreakable hope, you can. It begins with a simple but powerful conversation with God. Verse 17 says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Meaning that we face momentary trials now to prepare us for an eternal glory later. We are humbled now as we will experience the great glory of God in heaven later. And Paul likens it to a scale. He says, if you take the weight, the heavy weight, and it is a heavy weight of the trials and affliction of this life, and you weigh it in comparison to the future glory of God, there is no comparison. The love and the presence and the truth of Jesus tips the scale uncomparably. And he says, at one point in my life, my affliction felt like a lethal weight around my neck, but now it is weightless in comparison to the glory of God. And get this, Holy Spirit, who we have been given now, he's just a down payment, a down payment on the future glory we will have one day with God in his fullness in heaven. And verse 16 adds, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And it's this picture of this ongoing renewal as God makes his mercy and grace new every day for us. You know, at the time of Charlie's death, when he went home to be with the Lord, he would have lived 34 years beyond that one-year diagnosis that he was given. He pretty much could only move his lips, his eyes, and his eyebrows. And with his wife, Lucy, continued going around and telling people how great God was and how precious life is. To my knowledge, he was the longest living Lou Gehrig's disease person on the face of the planet at that time. And his story is a picture of the good news of Jesus and what he wants to do in every one of our lives. It's a picture of the joy we can have no matter how difficult things are. And he once said through his wife, Lucy, we can choose to feel sorry for ourselves and be bitter or angry and cause everyone around us to be miserable. Or we can choose, with God's help, to become a better and stronger person. Pain and suffering is inevitable. However, misery is optional, and we get to make that choice. My encounter family, therefore, having this ministry, all that God has called you to in this life, by the mercy of God, 
we do not lose hope. But we have this treasure, Jesus Christ, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And some 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross to pay a debt for our sin in our place that we couldn't pay before a holy God. And he died. And three days later, he rose again. And now he invites anyone into life with him so that anyone can know that they are more broken and more sinful than they'd ever dare believe before a holy God. They're broken by sin. And yet, we're more loved and more accepted than we could ever dare hope because Jesus Christ died and rose again and invites us to have an unbreakable hope in him. Would you bow your heads? I want to invite you before we pray for you to have an authentic moment with the Lord. And if you feel so inclined to just offer him the broken pieces of your life right now, whatever they may be, to give him whatever's been shattered recently, surrender it to him and ask him to use your life, to put the pieces of your life together through the gold of his grace and his presence and his love and to restore you however he may choose to use you for his glory. And if you're here today and you've never met Jesus as your Savior and you want to, say something like this to God. It's not about getting the words just right. It's meaning it in your heart. If you know that you've sinned and you want to begin to follow him as your Savior, just say something like this to God. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sin, my brokenness. I receive your forgiveness today based on what you did on the cross for me. Come into my life and make me whole. I receive you and your gift of grace and I invite you to use me as an instrument. However you may choose, Lord, I invite you to use me. Father God, thank you that we may bring all of our brokenness to you experience your unbreakable love and grace and presence. We love you, dear Jesus. Amen.